Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sim Sundays podcast. This week was a really interesting chat. I sat down with Tobin Lee. Now, Tobin Lee might not be a name that you've heard of, but he has, I guarantee he's been involved in something that you've seen uh, or watched in the sim racing space. Uh, he started off his career as a professional driver for F4H, uh, Veloce, and Lazarus before moving to uh, become the project manager of a little brand called Quadrant. Uh, he then moved from Quadrant uh, into uh, Veloce as a general project manager there, uh, where he worked with uh, McLaren, uh, the Miami Formula One Grand Prix. Uh, he's worked with Ferrari. Um, he is instrumental uh, in the organization and creation and branding of a lot of the F1 teams, esports teams. He's also uh, an advisor at the British Esports uh, Association. And excitingly, he's just started his own company called Pacenote, where he's advising brands on how to use gaming and use sim racing uh, to further their brand with the, the younger, more exciting demographic. So here we go. Tobin Lee professional ex esports driver turned business mogul extraordinaire welcome to the show how was the intro you. for you how do you feel well i feel to be honest i feel slightly uh, like i'm in a condescending environment now um <laughs> uh, no no it's all good it's all good it's probably very accurate it, it, the ex professional you know slightly sad but yeah <laughs> once uh once an esports driver always an esports driver right yeah definitely definitely but interesting uh your journey because you've you've kind of taken you've kind of taken esports and, and driving and you you've moved into the world of esports business sim racing business you're working with big names like veloce you've worked with ferrari um you know you've raced with max verstappen like you know there's there's big brands big names that you've that you've managed to hit all very quickly right yeah i mean to be honest like the everything's just happened so fast but i think the a lot of a lot of it is down to the fact that i think um one, one of the biggest things i've learned recently especially is like if you want if you want stuff to happen quickly you can like you yeah. don't have to settle in right. and i'm i think one thing i've learned about myself especially in the last like uh in the last few months is like i'm someone that just needs to keep that momentum going and if i and if it's not going then i i feel a bit bored to mm. be honest um and so so yeah i think yeah stuff moves very fast but i think uh, it's probably quite a lot of it is down to the fact that i just I get bored to be honest tom yeah i mean it'd be pretty boring if, if things didn't move fast right I, I don't know how people work in like huge corporate environments where like it's going to take three months to like you know change a fire safety sign on a door because a thousand people need to sign off on it blah, blah, blah. i'm falling asleep as i'm talking but if i go through your uh your cv it's it's all there's there if there is like one kind of theme one like core tenet that runs all the way through uh, what you've done it's fun like nothing here nothing on your on your kind of your cv your experience list is ordinary you've clearly like come out of school and then you've just had fun for like the the last seven years and i love i absolutely love that the first entry on your linkedin page is professional forza for horizon uh motorsport uh player that is that that is i i, I don't know how many people have got that on there i noticed that that's the one without a logo because you know <laughs> like yeah who, who do you report to in that instance yeah i mean so that actually was f4h so mm. f4h was the first like team i raced with um and that was like my first that was my first organization mm. i'd ever been a part of because i was 16 at the time or something yeah yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know a lot of the people i work with in there i work with you know throughout my career as well so um yeah i mean big shout out to nathan Tague with that one because he i remember nathan quick, Tague, quick friend of the show he's, he's been yeah. on the show yeah friend of the show i remember <laughs> you know not to ramble on too much but i remember being in a maths lesson when i was at secondary school and then getting a phone call saying oh hey tobin do you want to be part of like generally i was in a i was in a maths lesson and you took and I the call i took a call in the class <laughs> time like, has changed since i was at school yeah. I'm you, right sorry can i just stop you there once i need to take this call yeah someone wants me for their fours team like, one sec sorry i've got um, business to attend to yeah so but yeah no it was, it was really good and um but yeah you're right as well with fun mm. you know i 
one thing that I think I'm quite lucky with as well is like looking back at my CV, you know, I've never, I've never ever had a job interview in my life. I've never um, done like a normal job. Just, I think a lot, obviously I'm very fortunate. I found my, found my feet in just something that's fun, something that's lucrative and something that I enjoy. And so therefore I just tried to stick at it and, you know, just make, make, make from this whole space what, what, what I will, you know, and, yeah well why not yeah, like you you definitely you're kind of following your your passion but i mean you started in sim racing or you started in sim racing well before it was what it is now so you know you kind of you've definitely um taken the rough with the smooth you definitely got on the train very very early and now obviously it's, it's made you one of the very few people that have the expertise that you have and we'll get on to pace note and what PaceNote is, how PaceNote started, and the incredible story that I want to relive about your decision to do uh, to, to start PaceNote. But let's just start a little bit earlier. So you played, uh, so, so you you were a professional player for uh, FRH, Veloce, and Lazarus. So you did quite a lot, right? So that's four years from 2016 to 2020 where you were as pro semi-pro like i mean back then were there were there pro players or semi-pro players or was it all voluntarily like, like voluntary base like what was the what was it like i, I can't i can imagine the 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 sim racer of today wouldn't recognize the landscape back in 2016 2017 yeah well i think the landscape now is like directly derived obviously from what it was back in 2016 so kind of to set the scene back then um you know, there were the F1 games were a thing. Gran Turismo was a thing. iRacing was all a thing. And there's been a lot of sim racing, but it was all a lot more uh, kind of covered over. Like you really had to like investigate, especially I found, and there may be hardcore sim racers out there that disagree. But for me, like looking into iRacing and all of the stuff that's so common now, like AC, you had to really dig in and mm. investigate and, and put some effort in. But one of the big games that were prevalent back then, especially in terms of prize money offering, was Forza. Now, mm. Forza don't do anything now uh, because they pulled funding on it, basically, because it didn't get great viewership. But back in the 2016 days and a little bit before that as well, Forza had probably the biggest prize pool of any sim racing game um, like that was out there, like other than the occasional one-off big mega event in like, with like Formula E, that one that had a million pounds or whatever. Mm. But basically, Forza um, was a great lucky place, really, because I enjoyed that game and I got on really well with it. And essentially, they, like Microsoft, were going big on this sim racing thing back then. Um, it was too early, as mm. we found out. But um, but yeah, it was a big, big space back then. Well, it's interesting because you obviously, you obviously weren't, going through that period of your life with your eyes shut you're obviously not just there to to drive you know a lot of a lot of sim racers maybe consciously or subconsciously kind of try and um imitate the real world drivers and they say like i don't like all the fuss around it all i want to do is drive and then sim you occasionally hear sim racers saying the same thing that all they want to do is get out and race right which fair enough sounds to me that it sounds like during your period as a as a professional racer uh, semi-pro racer whatever you would you would class yourself as actually you were watching with interest the space you're in what was happening who was moving into it what it was developing into and it sounds like maybe what you've what you've now created is a culmination of all those experiences yeah i'd agree i'd agree but you say like watching that makes me sound like i was a little kid that was like out there with like an agenda to really research, take notes, you know, see Bigging who's going to do. Yeah. But I, I wasn't at all. I literally, I just really like, I really wanted to win Forza racing championship. Basically that's all I set out to do. Mm. And so my first tournament that I ever did was when I was 16 in F4H, like I just spoke about earlier. And that was at the 24 hours of, of Le Mans. Yeah. And Basically, um, at the so at the twenty four hours of Le Mans, Microsoft were doing like their Forza esports series at the same time as the real twenty four hour race, 
And I turned up there. I had no idea that LAN events were a thing mm. before I'd been there. I just got invited because I did well on an online tournament. But I came like 13th in the world at Forza in my first event. And it, for me, like at 16, 17, whatever I was, um, I just remember thinking like, you know, damn, like that's <laughs> that's pretty good. Like, and the prize pool there, like you earn, it was like a thousand dollars back then. And at that age, honestly, if you're, hauling that in from playing Forza like I was yeah, like yeah. this could be huge you were the cool kid that, at school right well yeah I mean that's actually a really good kind of topic in itself because I for ages was too I was too ashamed dare I say it to like say that I was doing it because when uh. when I started esports had had a, had the level of shame about it it wasn't like it is now yeah um and basically on that um all that changed because I did my first tournament that I just mentioned at Le Mans. And after I did it, like word did get out because I'd done quite well. Word did get out. I did tell some of my friends and then they mm. spread. And basically it got to some of the kind of senior teachers at, um, at my school. And they came up to me and they called me for like a, like a meeting with like the equivalent of like the headmaster of the sixth form at the time. And they were like, you know, what, what are you doing? So I, I told them. I told them why I'd been like out of school and basically they were like so impressed that they they convinced me to do like a a whole school like assembly so I just stood up at the front <laughs> at 16 like basically t- telling people why esports is is so good and people like again I was pretty like wow people might just think I'm really sad here mm. but I did it and probably some people thought I was sad I'm sure I you know maybe I would have but those people are the ones that are now buying esports merch from when they, yeah. watch, they watch yeah exactly Probably. it all comes around a lot of people though like really really loved it and and i think uh you know that's the kind of i think that's probably deep down something that inspired me to like keep keep going with with gaming and, and esports so it's a nice story you, you don't often hear i don't know i don't I, I feel like schools get a bad rap teachers get a bad rap everyone remembers the the, the horror days of school and how they weren't supported here and they weren't supported there and you know, they could have done a lot better here and whatever. But yeah. it's nice to hear that actually you were kind of inspired by the, 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 um, I guess the interest that they showed in what you were doing. And back then, it's, it's, you know, because when I was at school, playing PlayStation was a distraction from homework and coursework. And, you know, parents would, would hate it when you were doing it because it was just dead time and teachers were like, you can't make a living playing video games, blah, 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 blah. Where, actually you're one of the exceptions where you were kind of doing it at school and and then have taken all the way through to a through to a career and again we'll get on to that um shortly but it's nice to hear of a school that's kind of seen that okay well this is this is probably a space that's growing gaming is growing you know this is this is a worthwhile use of somebody's time it's impressive we should celebrate it yeah Uh, but although my school was was a bit weird actually thinking about it because not weird but i was really lucky because Mm. for example uh, one time I was I was in a, a lesson and again I had an email to my school email and it was from a biology teacher that I'd never I'd never had any lessons from this teacher but I'd heard of him mm. and he was like I told him like you're I heard you had success in esports like funny enough I'm part of the British Esports Association and I'm like the main man trying to push getting gaming into schools and wow. you know I'm well through the project so do you want to catch up and so that's a guy called Tom Dore. He's he is part of the British Esports Association. He's leading up the the education side of um you know bringing gaming into into schools, like I said. And he, you know, again, like it was I was very lucky because you know there's not many people that are in the British Esports Association or even in any esports orgs across the board. But to have someone in my school that was like working in it already, again, it was like proof in the pudding that mm. there's something here it was a bit weird like it was a bit weird but in a really good way yeah yeah i feel like that's probably not a common experience that people have when they get involved in gaming <laughs> when they're at school so yeah. you were you were lucky i guess uh in a way but although you weren't lucky to have become 13th in the world at, at, at forza i think that's probably quite a lot of practice involved in that yeah yeah a lot of practice <laughs> a lot of sweat but so then quickly after right so quickly after i'm looking at this here so july 2021 project manager at quadrant now everybody listening will know what quadrant is and they'll understand the concept of it and how huge quadrant now is how did that happen how did you 
get involved? Obviously, you probably networked with a lot of people um, as a as a gamer uh, in, in the previous uh, five years up to that point. Um, but tell us how the, the the introduction, the first meeting to Quadrant happened. Yeah. So the story again begins when I was a driver because my second team I represented was was a was back then quite an unknown team but it was Veloce Esports. And basically when they were first, when Veloce were first founded, they were obviously getting their their legs going. And one of their strategies was to enter into different esports tournaments. And they picked Forza as a pretty good one to get involved in. And they also got me on as one of their three drivers. So basically because I was representing them back then, I got to know everyone in Veloce. Mm. Obviously that links heavily to Quadrant. which I'll get onto into a sec- in a second. But basically, I was able, again, fluke, I'll be honest, but it was nice. Um, I managed to use the gaming to like build the network in the space. And basically, once I did my degree, um, once I did my business degree and I was done, um, at that time, uh, Forza and everything was wrapping up. My esports career like in Forza was looking quite uh like there wasn't too much of a future there because as i said microsoft were pulling Mm. all the funding and i i didn't want to do that anyway full time i wanted to get into business and so i reached out to jamie who's chief sporting officer at veloce and he was my manager all all the way through that that job um and someone i learned like a lot from um and it was funny because he also looked after me when i was a when i was a driver back in the day Mm. but basically i was able just to reach out to jamie um, and asked him, you know, are there any jobs going? McLaren were new on their books back in the t- back in the day, so I knew that I might have a chance. Um, and Nathan, who we spoke about earlier, he was in Veloce, so I managed to basically convince him to give me a good word. Um, nice. And then, uh, and then off the back of that, I got into Veloce, and then it was from there that I was then able to get into Quadrant, as you mentioned, because Quadrant is all operated by mm. Veloce. Um, and so essentially, like there's a sub team of people in Veloce that that just work on on Quadrant. And I was very lucky to be a part of that for, for quite some time. Yeah, it must have. It, I mean, when Quadrant was launched, there was, a, there was a lot of hype around it. Like obviously, Lando Norris's involvement and then the, the kind of wacky, like very kind of like tongue in cheek, very kind of, I don't know, maybe gen z style of communication that it had it was very kind of fresh um it must be quite quite cool to be involved in something that probably felt very different to other brands that you've seen up to that point yeah yeah because it's not like quadrant is not a sim racing brand that's Mm. the thing it's very much much more than even to me it's more than even like an esports brand in many ways because it's it focuses on creating a cool like clothing line it's about the content it's about you know lifestyle about cars and rally Mm. and all this cool stuff so it was a really good like the thing for me and the main value i think i'll i'll always take away from quadrant is like it really teaches you to open your eyes and and everyone there is really good at like um doing more than like the first thing that would come to your mind in terms of being creative with what content you're going to make or what you know clothes you're going to the designs that they do and 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 all of that it's it's quite deep but being part of that team taught me a lot about like striving for high quality and Mm. and every other team don't get me wrong but quadrant's definitely one where they pride themselves for like really trying to go above and beyond all the time so it was really good it's i mean it sound the job sounds nuts like Miami Grand Prix and Goodwood and all those experiences going to the shoots like the 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 jet like the the freaking military jet that you used um for like the apparel like it it sounds to me like it's not a real job like is it fair to say that you've not had quote unquote a real job or and I know I'm being like I'm being purposely like facetious here with this question or is it actually there is a lot of kind of spreadsheets, processes, compliance, emails that goes on in the background. Like, what's it What's it like for somebody listening who's thinking, I want to work in gaming because it sounds like a lot of fun. It looks like a lot of fun. Is there a reality behind that where actually there is a lot of kind of just kind of corporate sort of process that you have to learn as you go along? And it's, and it's, it's not all 
what it looks like like give us the inside scoop on what it's like to work in a, in a gaming environment like that uh yeah well i think and in, in short it's very fun it is very fun i think the tough thing that you've got to consider with it is one thing i found specifically on like being more of a serious gamer and then working in it afterwards is if you work quite like if you take a game really seriously and then go and work in it it can take the fun away mm. that's that's one point i could talk yeah. about that for ages but when you when you take it seriously you can take the fun away but from a more like corporate if you're just getting you know you've just got a regular background and you want to come into gaming i think the the key challenge with it is you have to be really good because it's so it is really competitive and mm. you have to like be prepared to just go above and beyond and just be the best like at that as you can be and then i think that goes a long way uh, if that makes sense but it really it's it's just a good job and and it's, yeah. there's not too much, <laughs> there's not no, too it, much. it, it makes sense it. i guess the demand from people wanting to work in those jobs is very very high like lots of people would want to work in that kind of job and so therefore the supply has to meet it and if you want to be the supply that means you have to be the the, the top of a much larger field um it sounds as well like um your the networking that you did in the lead up uh to that job has really helped like you already knew a few people within the organization now from what i can tell from my brief you know three years in this sim racing world is that network is everything like it's actually a really small group of people who are running kind of the i'm talking sim racing now not gaming because obviously there's there's a lot of people working in gaming generally but in terms of people who are running projects brands manufacturers in in sim racing everyone seems to know each other um has that been your experience yeah yeah big time i think um uh you know if you if you don't speak to people in this space then you you kind of it's tough luck to, to try and do much with it um i i, I know there's a lot of like learning to be done by talking with other people um and on that that I think I think it's great it being small, but I think it's also like a disadvantage with it being small as well. Because mm. I think other industries, like when it is bit, when there's more people, um, there's that kind of almost like it's almost like the ceilings potentially higher, and that's like a, a like a that's a challenge of the sim racing space at the moment, really. With like it needs some like it needs something to happen. I think where the the ceiling and the potential for people to be involved is like much higher than, than what it appears to be at the moment. Um, but again, that's quite a generic thing to state. Um, mm. But but I think uh, all in all, that is great. And yes, networks so important, and everyone's everyone's brilliant in the space. So, so again, and I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of like um, steer this conversation in a way that is beneficial for people listening who might want to work in in gaming sim racing etc like what's your technique what's your method how do you go about putting yourself out there going to events meeting people like just reaching out on i don't know linkedin or discord and asking for calls with people and introducing yourself and your skills to different organizations like what's your approach to that and if somebody was listening who was like i want to get into gaming like where should they start uh this is actually something that i picked up on quite a lot since starting my own business actually because because i'm in the position now where people are reaching out to me with, with this stuff and so it's given me a great insight and without a doubt the uh the the number one thing you should do is just start working for yourself and by that i mean you know if you're trying to make youtube content or content then start doing it or if you want to get advice on a business or something or you know something just make a business plan or just do something because there's so like so many people reach out and like want advice but when it comes to actually doing something most people don't mm. <laughs> for some reason and 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 so if you just do it and you just show that you've got intent behind whatever you're trying to learn or whatever you're trying to do and if you can show rather than tell um you're gonna be so you'll actually get somewhere but yeah. I think most people just just talk and it, it you know well there's a fear there's a genuine fear and I think there's good reason for that fear like most people will be in a job that pays a regular salary and they've um bought a flat or they're renting um a place and they've got a car and it's on finance and they've got 
bills that they have to pay. And so the salary that they have matches all of those responsibilities that they've racked up. And so to start your own business, you need to either risk the fact that you're going to keep making that money from month one, which is incredibly unlikely, or you need to save, which is obviously difficult, especially at the moment. Or you need to go out and somehow get a loan, which is risk, risky if you can't pay it back and your your idea doesn't work out. Or you need to go and find investment. And that's a whole different thing that takes a lot of time, a lot of knowledge, um, a lot of patience and a lot of heartache um, yeah. to, to achieve. So I remember, so we we met up in um, in uh, London, uh, how long was it now? Maybe six months ago, I think. Maybe less, maybe mm, longer. I don't know. Three. Time is a weird concept at the moment. Um, yeah. Three months was it? Three months? Yeah. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was, it was start of Feb. Oh my goodness! It feels like it feels <laughs> like six months ago at least. Yeah. And um, at that point, you kind of had the idea, and it was the concept, and it was uh, I'm thinking of doing this, but it hasn't. It hadn't necessarily kind of committed to doing it. So what was it? And then obviously the next time we spoke, you'd, I think you'd done it or you, you, you'd kind of, <laughs> you, you, you'd kind of like taken that step that meant you were going to do it. Um, yeah. So, so what was it in that period where you were like, oh, you know what, sod it, I'm going to do it? Well, like to be honest, so in terms of starting my own business, uh, it was, it's just something I've always wanted to do. I think when I was in my last job, um, like deep down, I think just in my in my heart, I knew that the only thing that I could do to like fulfill what I actually enjoy um, doing on a day to day is to just risk it all. And that's genuinely mm. what I did. I So I left my job with no with nothing. Mm. I, I had absolutely nothing. I had a I had a little bit in savings to last probably until now uh, before I'm homeless, <laughs> right. like literally. Um, and I just left because I knew that I. I had, I had to like, I think it's called like finding your icky guy or something. Um, I had to just me? go. Finding your icky your... guy. Yeah. What is it? I don't know, but I love the sound of that. I want to. Icky guy. Uh, yeah. How, how we yeah. Yeah. That? It is. So icky guy, I-K-I-G-A-I is right. a Japanese concept that means your reason for being. Um, oh. And so. Yeah, so icky is life and guy is value or worth in, in Japanese. So no finding your icky guy is like your life's work. That's like like that. what you're supposed to find. When you said when you were like, You're what? I was like, oh, am I am I chundering my, my work? But no. Um, <laughs> no. You're obviously just far more educated than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so for me, like deep down I knew that doing my own thing and just sending it and just being responsible for, for what I'm doing is just what I needed to do. So I just I took the step. And I just risked risked everything and just had faith that it would work out. But you know. <laughs> so before you reveal whether or not you're having to uh, live on the streets from the end of this month onwards, uh, why don't you give us the pitch? Right, not to put you on the spot, but let's hear the elevator pitch of this business concept that you've come up with and have now started. And I mean, spoiler, we're speaking quite regularly at the moment. I know is a massive success. So what's the pitch? Tell us what Pace Note is. Um, so PaceNote is a one-stop shop and the solution is where, uh, basically if you, if you want, if you're, if you're a brand and you want to be in esports, then you can come to PaceNote and we can just sort everything for you. So if you want your own team, we can sort that for you. If you need expertise and advice on something you're already doing, we can, we can sort you out, you know, like we can just, we, we can do everything or hook you up with the right people to enable you to, to, to be in esports and gaming. Slightly long-winded. You did. You did fully put me on the spot. Yeah. But essentially, um... <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We've we've got time to unpack that. I realized yeah. at the time I was like, oh, is this really unfair, or is it? You know, it, it, I think I think I totally get what that is. Right. It's uh, and and actually, you know, what the interesting thing is, like, a lot of companies will be very like narrow and they'll kind of stick to like a particular lane. But actually, if you look back through your experience. Actually, it makes total sense when you say, you know, the one-stop shop for esports. If a brand wants to use esports to further its marketing efforts or increase its fan engagement or to build its community, um, then PaceNote can help. Because actually, when you look at your experience, you've done a bit of everything from branding to esports to community. So, so it's, you know, as a consultancy, you're one of the very few people 
in the sim racing world at least who could genuinely say we can do a bit of everything and i'm using the royal we at the moment but i know you have plans to to grow the to grow the business so okay so I mean, it's incredibly exciting, um, and I did put you on the spot, so apologies for that. But <laughs> it's—I mean, the, it doesn't really matter because I—I'm I, I, going to ask questions rather than say anything because I don't know how much I can say versus how much I can ask. Because I don't want to—I don't want to reveal anything that shouldn't be revealed. So I'm just going to ask questions at this point yeah. to stay safe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's go right back to the beginning then. Okay. So, um, and again, this is for the benefit of anybody who's thinking about doing something in sim racing or doing something in gaming and working in their passion, but going to like a really micro level right you've left your job salary done it's cut and it's now up to you day one you sit down in your spare room office whatever you're you have you open your laptop right what is what's your emotion at that point like right here we go i'm gonna build this thing called pace note now i mean i know the reality is probably you thought about it quite a lot after that point but tell us what it's like on that first day yeah well Genuinely, when I say I on the first day, I had no idea. Uh, I mean that like pace note didn't exist. I didn't even have a clue. In fact, I wanted to, you know, I, I first thing I wanted to do is, is I, I knew I wanted to create a business in sim racing. And so basically, though, I sat down and I was just hyped. I just couldn't wait. And I knew I, I've always known I've always had it in the back of my mind. That there's a real opportunity in sim racing and helping people. Um, and so Basically, I'm lucky I've got a great mentor that I was speaking to quite regularly, especially at the beginning. And um, I would just be brainstorming, throwing ideas around and just seeing how we could get the the party on the road. But um, I wish I could be more specific, but it really was <laughs> like I, I was literally like watching the bank in my or watching my money just drain, just go down like rapidly and just thinking, <laughs> oh, man, that's that's sad. <laughs> but um <laughs> but it's so worth it it's so worth it um okay and, so, and then yeah it all went from there i mean okay so it all went from there tell us what all went from where like what what's like what's what's happened what is it that you've done who are you working with what's the what are the successes and and what have been the 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 failures as well tell us tell us about both yeah i can't i can't go into too many details with clients um just because of just because of you know business. come on we, we need all the exclusives for the thumbnails tobin you know this. yeah i know i know <laughs> and a shocked face of, of um, <laughs> yeah. um but basically um i mean i think i think the best way to explain everything is we have multiple clients at the moment that i'm working with which is great and basically it keeps the roof over my head but i think the main thing that i'd want to talk about really is uh, and this is the message i'd want to get through is that in terms of starting that business, it, the, the time that I learned the most actually was not like when you're securing clients. It was in like the trenches, if you like. It was in no mm. man's land. And for me, so I, I quit my job in, in, in February and then I um, was working throughout March and April primarily. And these were the two months where I was working hard on, on what PaceNote now is but with absolutely no validation, nothing coming back in, mm. in, in the other way. And those months were like genuinely the toughest like months, I'd say mentally, I've ever yeah. like experienced. And um, that is what I've realized from that though. And it's like what I try and tell people, especially if, especially if they want to do a business, but if they want to do anything that's going to like grow them, it's like when it's, when it's really tough, like when it's really tough, because it is, at times when you're doing your own business, I'm sure you had it the, the same mm. for you. Um, you know, it's, it's after that, it's really, that's when success comes, but you have to like, you have to just be in the trench and like think that it, the house is about to burn down like constantly until suddenly it's like, it's brilliant. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it's... that that, that, that'll be my message mainly. Yeah. It is interesting, isn't it? Because I think, by default to to really learn how your business is going to succeed you have to fail multiple times so you have to go out with the intention of like failing you have to be really really comfortable with failure and in order to to do that you have to you have to take a lot of risks and you have to be really comfortable that okay everything that we do nothing is wasted because if something doesn't work you can learn quite a lot about your market the problem you're trying to solve and the solution that you were proposing 
through that process of failing. And so out the back of it, your, your, in your case, your business concept is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So were there any assumptions that you made at the beginning that turned out not to be true once you'd started? Hmm. Uh, I mean, there are a couple, a couple, but I think there, all of my assumptions were on my product and what I was actually mm. my service offering. But to be honest, like, again, I, I feel like this is a bit of a rubbish answer for me to give you, to be honest, but maybe not, maybe not, maybe it's incredible, but maybe it, it in the most insightful the... thing we've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But for me, my only assumptions really that I've ever made are on the service offering that I'm actually trying to give clients. Mm. And one thing I, cause one really tricky thing to do in sim racing is do accurate, like market research for what yeah. people want, especially businesses, because most of the time they just have an idea and then they come in and they don't even know what they want. And mm. so you kind of have to convince them. And I made a few assumptions that I pitched to various people and pretty much like most of the time, my assumptions fall flat on their heads. Mm. <laughs> and then I, and then I never do it again and I learn from it. But, um, but assumptions in terms of business, uh, not really, but, but my message would be, I don't, I don't think it's bad to make assumptions and I don't think it's bad to make an assumption and then send it. And then, you know, ultimately if you, if you send it and then it's wrong and, and you blatantly got it wrong, at least you've then learned and you don't, mm. don't do it again. And so, yeah. <laughs> how, how, so to re to kind of like, to summarize the position, then you were a professional sim racer you then an account manager at veloce that helps huge brands manage their their uh marketing through gaming managing their sim racing teams you build up this this huge amount of experience and then you offer those services as an independent um consultancy agent called PaceNote, right and obviously i know that there's, there's plans there to to expand how important do you think like hiring is going to be for this for this uh for this expansion because your success at the moment is all totally based on the value of your experience and the expertise that you've built and so if you're pitching to a huge client and you say well this is what i've done in the past these are my skills these are my experiences these are these are all sorts of things that i've learned and here's the sort of thing that i could offer for you and they say great who's going to be working on it so and so is going to be working on it as the account manager like where are you going to find these people who are like because as we said before it's a really small community right and you need to find people with incredibly niche knowledge who also happen to be looking for a job who also happen to be willing to to change you know to come and work for like a um, a startup do you do you think the hiring process will be a challenge or maybe is it going to be the opposite is it going to be really easy well, that's a really good question, Tom. Um, you're right. The the challenge is hiring. Um, and I think that, um, you know, with, with these esports businesses, though, the beauty is, is that luckily these are this this is great work. You know, the, the kind mm. of work that I get to offer, especially young people at PaceNote, is like these are dream jobs that I get to get and then offer to people. And so hiring and finding really good people actually isn't too difficult. Um, sorry, did you say thing, hiring and I'm just getting a phone sorry, did I'm you... just getting a phone call, which I've just hung up. And so as I was saying, <laughs> sorry, you said hiring um, and uh hiring young people. Uh we'll go from there. Oh, and then I I'll probably said, come back. I thought you said hiring and firing really good people. No, 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 no. no <laughs> I probably was sorry, yeah. Um <laughs> but we get there's really good people on offer. And but the thing is, is and this is a bit of a little trade secret, I think, that I'm that I'm going to pursue, but I'm I'm happy to share, is that a lot of this work is not um, like it's not doesn't necessarily have to be full time, and I think that obviously in some aspects having a full time job is superb, but I think for esports and gaming, I actually think especially for young people, I think that freelance part time contracted work. To, to add on to people's lives on the side, uh, you know, it's almost like part-time work gives young people the ability to uh, to turn their hobby into like 
their hobby that mm. also pays them some nice cash so that they can go and like have a bit more of a life than they would if they weren't doing or it. Or buy more sim racing equipment. Or buy more sim racing <laughs> equipment, exactly. Um, and I think that a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I'll be working on is very much things that you can outsource parts of it to to especially young people wanting to start their careers mm. and then teach them the ropes get them really good money for the amount of time that they're having to put in because you're not asking for the same amount of time as a full-time job um and then go from there but with that being said you know my business is three months old i've yet to make my first hire so i might that might all go you know that's an assumption and it might be wrong um and, yeah you know so be it if it is um please i learn yeah. It's really interesting. Hiring is so, so important. We've been really lucky. You know, there's six of us um, at Gridfinder. Um, I'd say we, three of them are like you know, the genuine like hiring process, I suppose. The others were kind of like a, a founder, a co-founder um, process. Um, and, and we're going to be hiring very soon for um, community managers, people to manage some very exciting special accounts that we're going to be hosting on Gridfinder soon. Um, and I had the same thoughts as you, which is the advantage we have and almost kind of, it sounds cheesy, right? But I think you and I have a lot in common. I, I always wanted to start my own business, um, you know, 10 years at sea in the, in the middle of that. But I, when I was like 18, 19, I had a little DJing business. Then I went to sea for 10 years. I came back and then did Gridfinder. So there's a weird little interlude, but other than that. Um, but I always thought that the main motivation was creating cool jobs like the idea of being able to create a business which creates in turn jobs that are fun is actually a really like rewarding really motivating factor in the whole process and so you know similar to you you'd be creating jobs where people can manage sim racing teams for really cool uh, brands or advise really cool brands about sim racing which is all stuff they love we're going to be doing similar sort of thing we're like right we've got this brand on the books that wants to create a community you get to run leagues as your job like that's going to be really freaking cool um i suppose um we, we have a, an office in, in newcastle says so uh, there's four of us here we'll, we'll look first to hire locally so that we can kind of really get to know these people you're going to be is your plan to go totally remote and and what challenges do you think you're going to face having potentially consultants who you bring onto your books do online meetings with clients that you might not have visibility of and yet their advice the way they come across the experience that they that they share directly reflects the value that your customer is getting from PaceNote. Like how, how do you think you'd manage that? Yeah. It, again, that's pretty, also a really good question. I think, so I, I think lockdown and everything has obviously made it easier to have a fully remote business. And I think PaceNote is likely to be fully remote for the foreseeable. It might not always be. Uh, Cause again, three months old, genuinely, like I <laughs> don't know what could happen. It's so when I want the business plan right? Five yeah. years, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of that, you're right. Um, I think that a lot of it comes down to like, in terms of hiring, it's, it's all about that initial phase and being able to get to know people as people rather than just as tools, frankly. Mm. And I think, um, you know, normally it's fairly, you know, there's, there's going to be tough bits with that don't get me wrong but i think normally you can tell when someone's passionate about the space and normally if you're passionate and you can answer like pretty good questions about this stuff or you a good manager people person then you can normally tell who's going to represent mm. the brand and for me um obviously quality of like how well you can work with a client is so important but if you can be like good but you're like really friendly and you just make your time working with a client like incredible or if you're really like decent but you're just the best person ever and you're you know in our you know uh company chats or whatever and you're just a legend like you're gonna do well like do you know what i mean like and and that's another thing that i want to really bring into pace note it's like um i think being a really nice place to work but also work with mm. is actually like i can't you know it is so simple but i think if i can achieve that with a company then that'll be ridiculously good yeah yeah it uh, it's kind of it's the human part of the battle isn't it it's you know yeah. creating good jobs is not just 
good on paper it's it's people walking into an office or, or logging in from home or whatever and genuinely enjoying like the environment that they're in um and i think it's interesting because you know you're as you said your business has been going three months uh, you need to make revenue because you need to pay the bills so you need to make profit so you have to decide how much you're going to pay new hires and make sure that there's still a margin on top of that to keep the operating costs of the business um you know on on track um and and so you know you you can't just be like well we're just going to go to the, the pub every day or we're going to do some sim racing every day like you, you know you're going to have to really drive people to work especially in a startup a startup is a hard place to work because often the goalposts are always moving and you know startups that hire junior people who haven't necessarily worked in corporates they're they're taking people with very little experience giving them less direction than usual and constantly moving the goalposts of what their roles and responsibilities are as the company changes because startups are always moving their their goals and, and testing and adjusting and a b testing and blah, blah 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 as they go so you have to i think part of the trick is to find people who are really resilient and really kind of um that have a good amount of independence and, and initiative and are willing to come up with their own ideas and not get too attached if a project gets dropped or or, or you change focus or you know it's it's a really kind of um, demanding place to work too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. What can I say? Yeah, it is. It's going to be <laughs> tough. No, but it'll be good though. And and this is, so this again links back to why I want, you know, when it comes to hiring people, why I want to keep it pretty flexible, especially in the initial phases, because there is going to be so much stuff going on. But with that said, I still think that the opportunity, or if I know that the opportunity for like, as I mentioned, um, people getting into sim racing and people wanting to get some experience, especially in these first few months. Mm. I don't think there's going to be a better place where you can come in, just get some top experience. I'll teach you everything I know um, and and kind of go from there. That's that's essentially it. And then we'll, we'll go from there. But I think um, on the topic of like being remote and in person, the thing with sim racing businesses as well is it's quite, or gaming, like gaming businesses, because um, I want to stress Pace Note is not a sim racing business. It is very much like gaming. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just that there's, there is like a limited talent pool in a certain geographical location. But then when you yeah. open it up to online, it, it becomes a bit more. So, yeah, it's, we'll see. It's going to be fun, though, either way. And I suppose something else that I, that I was really interested by is yeah, knowing the sorts of clients that you're speaking to obviously not saying who they are, but they are huge. I think it's okay to say they're huge global brands. Do you ever, when you first started out with Pacenote and you kind of, you kind of arrive as Pacenote, which is a company and therefore there's an implication that there's a group of people here working on a project. I'm sure you kind of like dispel that very quickly, but um, do you ever, and I know this is a bit cliche if you've ever listened to any startup podcast ever, but have you ever felt imposter syndrome? Have you ever gone into a meeting seen the names of the people on the call who and who they're working for and gone oh my god like why are these people going to listen to me yeah yeah definitely but but i'm very lucky again and i think i got more imposter syndrome when i first started my last job with a lot mm. because so in that i was looking after mclaren as their client and i remember the first time I was in an email chain with someone from McLaren and you just see their email footer said <laughs> McLaren racing. And you're like, you know, Tobin, am I really meant to be, you know, in this chain? Mm. Am I messing up? And I, and I did actually mess up quite a lot when I first started just because I was nervous. But I think that experience has like paid off massively now because to me, like McLaren and Formula One teams, that was that is like what I'm really passionate about. And so to be in email chains and be communicating with people high up in that sport for me was like like holy moly, like what is going on? But then once I'd done that, like I don't like there's nothing nothing can beat that. Nothing's more intimidating mm. than like my favorite sport and then people high up that I respect and have heard of. So yeah, I do get it, but not as much as like when I first started my last job. I suppose a lot of imposter syndrome is fear of the unknown and actually because you're starting your own business and you're you're molding that business around your previous experiences you are kind of like the the subject matter expert in the room which is going to give you that confidence which will in turn dispel that imposter syndrome to to some extent 
Um, yeah. But I want to move on to another another subject, right? And and because you have gone from sim racer to business owner, I want to kind of focus on that on that journey. And again, you know, lots of people starting their own businesses nowadays. It's a lot easier to to do it than than I think it used to be. It's a lot kind of more more, more user friendly process, if you like, with Companies House and HMRC and blah 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 blah. But that's what I want to focus on. So you know, what challenges have you found? with setting up the rest of the business. So so having your calls with whoever and and selling the service, fine. That's your bread and butter. You've got that. But what about everything else? What about, you know, setting up a website, registering the company? Do it, are you going to pay yourself? Do, how what the hell does POE and national insurance work and like, all that sort of stuff? Has that been a challenge or or has that been actually, you know what, it's a lot easier than it sounds? Um well, in summary, I think to, again, to kind of give you a bit of context about how I've approached it. So when I was a sim racer back in the day, I was technically self-employed. Mm. Well, I was self-employed. And so I ha- I got to grips with accounts and kind of having to deal with my own income and declare it and all that. In fact, I even once got fined by HMRC because I didn't do it right. And <laughs> so I've had these. So genuinely, I've had yeah, all these you're experiences. You're a veteran then. Yeah, you know, I've I've been I've been through ups and downs. And so basically what it taught me is when you get like my approach to it now is just pay someone that's really good to do it. Mm. So I've got great accountants, I've got people that deal with legal stuff, you know, I've got like people that just know what they're doing because I've realized that there's no point in in trying to worry about that. And also like you say, setting up your own business, HMRC, Companies House, all of that is actually really easy. It's just mm. the, I think the accounting stuff is the complicated bit, especially if we're going to become like VAT registered and mm. all the rest of it and all the different deadlines or whatever. So just get someone to do that. And that's that's the first thing I did. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love that. And I was really keen to get your your take on it. That is exactly my opinion too. It's, it's outsource the stuff that isn't your bread and butter so you can focus on the core of your own business rather than spending yeah. four hours doing some accounting that somebody else could have done in 20 minutes you know just the the, the return on investment you're going to get back for those four hours if you're not I, I always think that if you're paying somebody you know 50 pounds an hour to do your accounting or whatever it is then if, if you're if if you doing your accounting itself is going to cost you more because of your own lost time. If you don't think your time is as valuable as that, then your business probably isn't isn't the right one, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. Okay. So you've gone from pro sim racer to business owner. What lessons did you learn when you were kind of super duper competitive that you've taken into PaceNote now? Because PaceNote feels very collaborative. So perhaps not competitive. That I can I can think of maybe three or four kind of sim racing consultancies but they all kind of have their own specializations so is do you see yourself as being in a really competitive space or do you think there's more opportunity with collaboration uh i think well in answer to the collaboration competitive stuff i think the ultimately you know Oh, the way I see competitiveness is like, I just want, I, I don't really care about pace note being competitive. Like I just want to position it as best as it can be, but I do want it to be competitive in the sense of like, if we get a client, then I want to like, you know, join with them. And then that force be really mm. competitive in the industry that they're in um, or in the sector or with the goals that they have. And so that's the kind of like different approach to competitiveness that I would, um, that I would, I would follow. Um, and then also it's just a case of, you know, I think there are a couple of others, but I think every, like, like you said, the sim racing space is so small that people I think still work together to an extent. And, you know, if there's something that we can focus on as a, as a, as an industry, then I think people do it. So I, I don't ever get the sense that people are really fighting against each other in this space, at least not in my niche. Maybe, maybe they are. And I'm just, naive but um you know yeah the great phrase the rising tide lifts all boats right so we're in a growing market so the more we do together the greater the market the bigger the market gets and the more exciting it gets so 
I'm very conscious, right, that you're only three months into this journey. Um, and it's going to be fascinating when we check back in with you, like in a year's time, and you can tell us who all these big names are, and you can tell us the the crazy stories of like the meetings you've had, who they've been with, the successes you've had, what failures you've had. It's going to be really fun to to check back in. But looking ahead for the next twelve months, what excites you, and what's keeping you up? Uh, what excites me is the fact that everything's unknown, um, which is like scary, but it's also really good. Um, mm. And so I think there's like I think there's a huge amount of opportunity still, and I think that what I've done so far is basically just build a ship that's that's afloat, and now I can start putting some wind into the sail. I love that. Um, what a great analogy. Yeah, it's quite relevant to you actually, isn't it? Um, Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like um, I'm back at sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, what keeps me up at night? To be honest, Tom, nothing. I actually I'm just so happy I'm doing this. I because self-employed life is. It's like, you know, this morning I went to went to the gym, went for a swim just at like 11, just because you can. And, you know, I get so much more flexibility now. Um, mm. I can work late if I want and it's fine. And also I like the fact that what I'm working on is like directly tied to me. So if I work hard, then I like, it's, 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 mm. I look good for it basically because I put in the work. Um and so, yeah, I, things are positive. I, I'm just like in that kind of phase of like, I've had the really scary bit, mm. the really scary bit. And then, um, and now I'm like settled a bit and now looking ahead. And then it's ultimately like, we've got, I have to now keep the momentum up. And that's one of the big bits of advice I've been told actually is like many entrepreneurs can, can get this initial phase going. But if you stop because mm. you're complacent, then you can just, you can kill it because you're not you're not still moving and so yeah. there is an element of that but i think it's all good you seem incredibly relaxed about it like the 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 what excites you what keeps you up i think some people would say the unknown is what excites me and others would say the unknown is what keeps me awake and you you were firmly in the that's what excites me with with that in mind do you think startups and self-employed life is for everyone uh, do you think do you think anyone could do it i think anyone could do it yeah if they if they wanted to um but you know i think what 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 you've got to do though is have like a really deep down self-belief <laughs> because mm. i tell you if if i if i didn't like have a real belief that this is like my guy. Uh, which is what I mentioned earlier, as <laughs> cringe as that is. No, I it's going to be the title of the episode, yeah. so uh, yeah. <laughs> brace for that. <laughs> yeah, if if I didn't have like a real drive there to do it, then then I probably wouldn't have carried on and I would have given up and then I wouldn't be here. So I think it's just like, you've got to want to do it. You've got to really care about what you're doing. You've got to really enjoy it. Because if you don't really love it, you don't really enjoy it and you don't really care, then you're going to mm. really fail, I think. So um so yeah, I think I, I think that that's it. But I think anyone can do it if you've got those those three. Well, I think that is a beautiful note to end on. So, uh, Tobin, thank you very much for joining us on Sim Sundays. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure chatting startups. So, kind of, we've we've had a few startups now. We've had a few conversations which are with drivers, and it's all about kind of performance and life racing for Red Bull, or it was you know track racer. Like, how do you? manage multiple warehouses around the world to get your distribution right or it's you know thomas yakamaya about the command and conquer like we've lots of like really really interesting conversations but the startup ones um really do fascinate me and maybe that's selfish of me because i i'm kind of looking at it through my lens of doing it as well but it's really interesting to see your approach even in that first kind of three months of the of the journey so Thanks for sharing all that and good luck. Uh, where could people find more information about PaceNote if they were curious to look it up? Um, main places are pacenote.gg, if I can speak, or on LinkedIn, <laughs> on my LinkedIn and on my Twitter, which is all Tobin Lee or Tobin Lee 55. Um, race number? I, yeah, that is my race number. Um, so that number followed me around all, all my life. Um, nice. But, we can talk about that another time. Um, Do you know what? Do you know what? A quick, um, what would it be called? Uh, an encore, right? Quick encore, because I know I've just done the wrap up bit about where can people find you. But quick encore, why Pace Note? 
Why have you called it Pace Note? Yeah, good question. So Pace Note is so I like rally and I like motorsport and I like cars. And Pace Note came to me because I was playing I was genuinely playing a rally game and I loved the the concept that the pace notes are all that get the driver at maximum speed, full attack. A pace note can get a driver from point A to point B on the most complicated rally course ever. And I think it's a bit of an analogy here where pace note, the business, is guiding businesses down this really complicated but highly rewarding, you know, trail, if you like, or rally stage. And so I just like the fact that it's all about guiding you know, guiding you down the next turn and doing it as fast as you possibly can or as efficiently as you possibly can. So, uh, yeah, that's that's pace note for you. <laughs> Love it. The second best analogy of the uh, <laughs> of the podcast after the boat analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tobin, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. And we'll chat soon. Thanks, Tom. So I think it's clear from that very brief conversation with Tobin that the guy's going places he is very well grounded in the sim racing space he's got huge amounts of experience um, and I really enjoyed chatting to him about his journey into becoming self-employed and starting his own business it's a it's a scary thing to do uh, but I've absolutely uh, no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Tobin will make a huge success of pace note so follow him find him on linkedin find him on twitter because the guy is uh, making moves in sim racing um, and he's going to be a fun one to watch oh liam i need to do the track racer thing okay i'm gonna have to do a little cut thanks as always to our sponsor track racer for sponsoring this episode it's been nearly a year now that track Racer have been sponsoring the uh, sim sundays podcast so thank you for that we appreciate it the rig in the office gets a lot of use um so appreciate it um and remember you can find sim sundays on spotify apple google and youtube so see you next time <laughs>